0: Previously on Hound Radio's Arch Campbell podcast. I'm
1: thinking Succession has just about jumped the shark.
0: What? Every, every season. How dare you say that after that finale?
1: (laughs) Every season. It's like Lucy and the football. (laughs) He dangles it in front of his kids and then he takes it away.
0: I'm uh, uh, just an opinion the arch campbell podcast featuring arch lou Katz, and a cast of thousands begins now
1: well that was our friend jen cheney who is clearly offended by my opinion of succession but she'll get over it, I'm sure. Hello, everybody. I'm Arch Campbell, and we're back underway for 2022. And I'm here with classic radio host and a classic guy, Uh. Lou Katz, in the control room. Glad to
2: be here. Glad to be back for 2022.
1: Uh, listen to those pipes. Oh, yeah. Twisting right. the knobs there. Well, <laughs> today is, this is a guilty pleasure for me and Lou today. Yeah. Because uh, my guests are the two film savants. They are uh, Jason Fraley, the entertainment editor of WTOP Radio and, uh, and our man in LA, entertainment correspondent for Observer.com, People Magazine, and anybody else who will have him, Oliver Jones. And Oliver and Jason, welcome to the podcast. Yeah. Thank you for having us. Thank you for so, having us. Always. I love it. Let's jump in
2: and let's start with Jason. Uh, what are you watching? Uh, on streaming i've actually found a a bunch of stuff i've liked lately Mm -hmm. um on amazon um i didn't i didn't expect to like it as much as i did but my wife and i loved it the tender bar i don't know i don't know what what you thought about it uh oliver and arch and lou but you know usually sometimes they 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 dump those late award season stuff in january and usually that's maybe that's not like a good sign you know sometimes so i kind of went in with lower expectations, but I actually really, really enjoyed it. I thought, you know, Ben Affleck carries so much um, baggage into roles nowadays, but with the tabloid personal stuff and the Batman memes and all that stuff, but honestly, <laughs> watching watching it as, you know, watching him, I, I he sort of disappeared into the role. I forgot it was him for a while. And It's a um,
1: memoir. It's coming of age. It's one of the best things Ben Affleck has done. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'll take care of you. Teach you. the male sciences. Sure. I saw you in the yard playing sports. You're not very good. find some other activities.
2: I like to read.
1: You read enough of those? Maybe. You could become a writer. Oliver, have you seen uh, The Tender Bar? Yes, and allow me to be the fly in your rum and coke. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh,
1: bring
3: it, bring I it. I could feel it. Come on. I, uh, I, I wasn't, I, I felt as though a movie about, um, a corner bar and the colorful drinkers inside of it needed to have more edge than this movie had. Uh, it was just too—it was too soft. Uh, I understand tender is in the title, but there needed to be some sort of edge or point of view for me. That said, I agree with you that it was—you know—in uh, some respects, it was an extension of the role that Ben Affleck played in *Goodwill Hunting*. The sort of uh, the 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 helper, the, the kind of constantly type of, 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 figure. And he right. was a, um, he, he's really, he was really kind of born to it. So it was great to see someone, um, kind of finding his comfort again on, on screen. So, you know, it's definitely, even, even if I didn't love it, it was, uh, uh it was enjoyable for his performances.
1: I should, I should throw in, it's the story of a kid who comes to live with his grandfather and Ben Affleck plays his uncle and the uncle kind of takes the kid under his wing and uh, the kid wants to be a writer. And, and this is based on a memoir by, uh, that actual kid. And of course I don't have the name because <laughs> I've forgotten it, <laughs> but it's Amazon too. Uh, and it's very accessible. And, uh, and I d- I thought it was an easy watch.
3: Well, yeah. I don't know about you guys, but I've been really missing hanging out in scummy, sleazy dive bars. Uh, and, um, Maybe I that's why I it. liked it. You know, I yeah, haven't, haven't done it in like Two years. years. Hey, we're going down to the bar on Amazon. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's a safe way to do that. I just wish they got the, the atmosphere a little, um, you know, a little grittier.
2: Gotcha. Well, speaking of gritty edge i got something that hopefully uh oliver will agree on i don't know arch but we'll see but apple just finally dropped uh the tragedy of Macbeth. i i, I watched right. screen of it you know years ago and had it towards the top of my best of the year list but man i I was blown I was blown away by it. I could I could see maybe you know some folks, you know, mainstream ruby govers struggling to get, you know, with the old Shakespeare English kind of a deal, but man, if if you you know, throw your subtitles on and and, and 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 go with it if you need to, but man, to me the visuals of that just told the whole story itself. Language aside, like um I thought Joel Cohen did some of his best work as a director ever. That some of that especially the witches there, was it Catherine Hunter contorting yeah. her body and Man, I I was just blown away by the way, like every image. I sat down and studied like a visual symbolism, almost back like a Citizen Kane, or you know, I guess Wells did an old Macbeth too. But man, like uh, every every image and the sound design and just everything, I I was blown away by it. But what do you guys think? No, it's it's terrific. I mean, um, you know, somebody
3: said, uh, you know, uh, it looks just like uh, Young Frankenstein, but it's not quite as funny. Uh, <laughs>
1: It, uh, it's beautiful it's, black and white photography. No, it's and, absolutely and very atmospheric, and just zips um, along. Yeah,
3: yeah, which no, is not and, what and you and
1: expect it, from Shakespeare.
3: It's also two, you know, master classes from two of the best actors we've ever produced in this country.
2: Yes, Denzel. Well, we should we should tell everyone Denzel Washington, two time <laughs> right. Oscar winner, and the reigning best actress champ, uh, Frances McDormand. Uh, not to mention. Oh. Even, Corey Hawkins is really good as as McDuff. And if you realize, um, I get, I guess we can't really say spoiler alert. Everybody knows Macbeth, or we should at this point, but when I I noticed that the the scene when Denzel, there's lots of like trippy nightmarish scenes. Um, and Denzel, there's a scene where there's blood dripping on the floor and it's going boom, boom, boom. And it's sounding like a knocking on the door. Well, it turns out to be a knocking on the door. It's McDuff who eventually is going to be, provide the comeuppance for his sin uh, and kill him in the end. So I just think there's lots of cool, cool uh, audio visual symbolism going on in that movie. I, I highly recommend uh, tragedy.
1: And, and it's available. It's on Apple now. So yep. if you've got Apple, uh, you're well, set.
3: Jason, you just spoiled that for everyone who failed their uh, English class in 11th grade.
2: I also just failed theater arts by saying the name Macbeth. We're not supposed oh, to say yeah, it. Oh, right?
1: that's true. That's true. Yeah. And and let's note that they they call it the tragedy of Mac- yeah. Macbeth. Yeah. They, they changed the title of the Scottish play.
2: Right. I think that was on. I think that was on purpose. There's a little bit of a, yeah. a hand a hand holding for modern viewers uh-huh. who will say, "Oh my gosh, that was dark." Well, we're we're gonna hit you with it. It's a, it's gonna yeah, be a we'll tragedy. <laughs> Sit yeah. Back so, and uh,
1: <laughs> Oliver, what are you watching these days?
3: Well, um, the greatest fear of my life when I was thirteen or fourteen was that I would be turning into my parents. And these last <laughs> few weeks, I've been watching. Um, no creature greater or uh, greater small uh, on PBS, which is exactly what my parents were doing uh, forty years ago. Um, so uh, it's it's great shame that I tell you I'm watching a delightful show about a veterinarian in the British countryside uh, um, during the 1940s. s. It's uh, streaming uh, the second season on PBS right now, uh, uh. and I'm enjoying the bucolic beauty and all of the um you know, farm animal births, you got to have a lot of farm animal births to, you know, entertain me these days. Um, and so I highly suggest that one. And on, on HBO, I don't know if any of you caught um somebody somewhere, a new comedy that, um, or sort of a dramatic comedy uh, that um, premiered uh, this weekend. And it was really, really moving. Uh, and I think for anyone, it stars Bridget Everett, the um and uh it's about a woman who uh, moves back to manhattan kansas um after her um sister died and uh and finds her voice as a as a singer among the sort of um outsiders in her community i lost my sister six months ago
1: you know i keep trying to go through her stuff and i get kind (laughs) of stuck
3: so sorry about holly she was a few years ahead of us right
2: no i i knew i recognized
3: you it was a very touching show, and it was kind of exactly the tonic I needed in these very sort of isolating times
1: I'm hearing about a show that started on a b c It's written up today in the washington post abbott elementary it's uh, kind of a of a mockumentary about an elementary school uh are you have you seen any of that
3: yeah I've watched it it's pretty good i mean it's 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 nice to see uh the traditional um sitcom format, uh, you know, address uh, in, a, in a refreshing way, uh, you know, our, our urban schools crisis uh, and sort of introduce that topic as a not scary thing to talk about.
1: Okay, so if the store has 10 potatoes, right, and you take away two of them, how many potatoes would the store have left? Janine, what did I say about taking my potatoes from the lunchroom?
0: But visual learning is so much better. Well,
1: guess what? Now you
3: have zero potatoes. I will say that the mockumentary format has felt a little dry to me. Uh you know since the days of the office it's been a, it's been a while now and it's it sort of feels like that's become a crutch uh for um for writers in sitcoms. I wish they could find another way to uh format or or uh but the, these shows but that's it's got a it's got a terrific cast and um and it talks about important things in fun ways.
1: Well, I would like to move on to the movies if we could. And I want to mention that uh, this year is the 50th anniversary of The Godfather. I had uh, taped it on AMC the other night we were sitting around. It was snowing. I don't know if you've heard Oliver, but it's the weather's been awful here. And Jason, you're up in Frederick, Maryland, where it's been even worse. So uh, we watched, oh, yeah. we
2: got we got crushed pretty good. <laughs> we we watched
1: uh, the version I taped from AMC with commercials and I would spin through them. And uh, and the next night uh, I downloaded the uh, restored uh, Godfather and watched it straight through at uh, Gina, my wife's uh, insistence. And uh, wow, I just I. <sighs> Everyone seems to pretty much agree that The Godfather now is uh, the greatest movie ever made. And uh, do you two guys agree? And why do you think so?
2: I mean that that's such a that's such a hard question because we all love so many movies. Uh-huh, but, uh-huh. but honestly, I, I've always sort of said that that a, a, as a combined piece of work, Part One and Part Two, uh, Godfather. I mean, I, I think it's as good as any movie that's ever made. I, I think it's I think Coppola was was a genius and there's so much you know that the quotable lines that average moviegoers know right and the, yeah. And the yeah character arc of michael becoming his father and all that stuff but man it's worth rewatching on this 50th anniversary because the things i picked up that you pick up new stuff every time you watch it like we all we we, we all know that luca Brasi sleeps with the fishies but you might not <laughs> you might not realize until you watch it again that when you know when Brasi's killed coppola is shooting through a fish pattern on the window. <laughs> or or when when michael and fredo are you know when at lake tahoe after the famous kiss of betrayal and michael is Uh sitting there and he's saying you know you're nothing to me now you're not a brother you know you're literally coppola shoots it so that you're looking out the glass at the water where 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 fredo's Uh literally gonna drown and there's even like sort of like life preservers behind michael but none behind fredo like I i just geek out over this stuff and um i guess it I guess in closing, before I turn over to Oliver, because he's probably got his own memories on this thing. But like, I remember seeing Part Two at the AFI Silver and Silver Spring, and watching it mm-hmm. on the big screen. Mm-hmm. There, was, yeah. a, there yeah. was there was a moment in the in the De Niro Vito uh, flashback part in in Part Two, where uh, there's like a, a a Christ Madonna statue going down the street, and there's like people pinning dollar bills to it. And as it Coppola tracks past the food stands, the different food stands block either the christ face just showing the money underneath or they block the money just showing the christ face and it's going down and i'm like man coppola is working on another level here but anyway go for it oliver i'll, I'll go all day on i mean I, I got
3: shutters just hearing uh you describe those scenes and also thinking about 50 years right that's how long that's how old <laughs> i am this is a tapestry of my life of my cinematic life but also how i view family right to a certain extent in generations yeah. You know that it has sort of not just colored my cinematic imagination, but it's colored my, you know, ancestral imagination, right? And um, you know, specifically with those shadows of Gordon Willis and and uh, and the incredible artisans um, that uh, that made up that movie. But part of that film, you know, is it the greatest American film ever made? You know, does it unseat uh, Citizen Kane? I think you know, and, and by the way, I would, prob- I would probably argue the second one over the first, because I'm one of those weirdos, but uh, I, I mean, but they're both wonderful. But I would say, you know, in both cases, in both Citizen Kane and The Godfather, we have this miraculous, you know, alchemy going on, right? Where, where you turn a sort of goofy pulp novel, you know, in the case of The Godfather, into the sort of highest art that sort of elevates our souls and elevates our experiences as Americans. And the same way Citizen Kane was just a bunch of gossip about a rich guy that was turned into something that was, again, you know, we calculated the way that we look at American life, you know, and, and so I think in, in, in the cases of these great films, we can talk about all their cinematic achievements and the beautiful things we see in them. But at the end of the day, what makes them matter so much is how they make us reorganize, you know, the way that we look at, at, our, at our lives, as our, our lives as Americans, and certainly our lives as filmgoers.
1: I watched Citizen Kane again uh, when Mank came out, and, and I love Citizen Kane, but there, it has dated itself slightly. And The Godfather, because it's a period piece, doesn't feel dated to me. I also, I want to quote, there's a new book out about The Godfather called leave the gun, take the cannoli, <laughs> which it's, it's, and Gina and I screamed when they, when they, uh, dumped that line, uh, in the film. Excuse me, uh, Jason.
2: Yeah, no, 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 not excused. I wanted to hear that. I, I was just going to chime in and say, um, say that uh yeah like the the i think the difference between godfather and kane which i agree are both like the crowning achievements of of artistic filmmaking where every shot has a symbolic idea i think the difference was i i don't you know kane was kane was never the top grossing movie of 41 i don't even know if it was in the no. top ten, but uh, i think it was like sergeant york but um the godfather was the mainstream blockbuster of 72 one and, and by the way, if you adjust for inflation, still ahead of Spider Man No Way Home. Spider Man, I think, is going to overtake it in a couple of weeks and adjust it for inflation. But anyway, so I sort of miss the idea. It was pretty much before I was born, but I, I missed the idea when the top blockbuster like The Godfather was the mainstream thing everybody quoted. It was the Avengers of its day and yet was the best picture winner. Not one, but twice. The only movie where the original and sequel both won Best Picture. So I. I don't know how, we, if we'll ever get back to that age where the water cooler conversation, or I guess the Twitter conversation nowadays, is the same as the elite artistic work. But that's what Coppola did. The Godfather is the ultimate example to me of art and a roller coaster ride merging together and and when those the roller coaster goes off the wheels in michael's head when he sits up at the restaurant and shoots uh McCluskey and salazzo and you know like it's it is the pinnacle for me last Got time
1: to- i was in la i found the house that uh waltz lives in uh, <laughs> it, it's down kind of south of uh of uh bel air it's it's down like off of pico boulevard near sure. hancock have you ever seen it, Oliver? Yeah, yeah. I've been it's over. Kind there. of a dump.
2: There was a yeah. horse. There was a horse looking out the window, at least a <laughs> head. Well, at least a head. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: speaking of that, you brought up Spider-Man and uh uh Saturday night, Saturday Night Live began with a parody of Joe Biden blaming everything that's wrong in society on Spider-Man, including COVID. What are we to make of Spider-Man? It's far and away, there's not even a second film close to it. Well,
3: uh, it's interesting. You know, this week, uh, I have been watching my daughter, um, uh, who is a freshman in high school, sort of, for the first time, go down the Spider-Man rabbit hole, right? She watched all of the movies from the three different Uh, you know, franchises of Spider-Man, all of which were celebrated in this new film. And, you know, she really enjoyed it. You know, she, she had questions. She didn't like certain parts of it. And, you know, and it was exciting for me on on some level because I went through a similar rabbit hole when I was about her age or a little younger uh, with the comic books and the cartoon shows. Right. But for me, when I was a kid, that was a step away from mainstream culture. right? That was a step yeah. into nerd culture, and and you know that was a sort of defiant thing. And for her, it was a way to kind of navigate the go- the ongoing conversation. It was a step into the mainstream, you know. And it was interesting to watch that that different journey. And of course, she went to the mall yesterday, which it was a, a safe thing to do, and saw the film and was completely thrilled by it, uh, and um and kind of amazed as I was that they were able to achieve so much. You know, there are so many characters, so many storylines, but it never really felt confused. Uh, it never felt rushed. They had time for the characters and for character arcs, and and you know, even the bad guys had redemption arcs. You know, I think that we can bemoan the the corporization of of so much of pop culture and the dominance of of Marvel films, but then we can also recognize that they kind of pulled something off impressive in this film. That that. Uh, that a lot of these movies don't pull off, and uh, you know, um, not it's not necessarily high art or anything, but it was it was good writing and and uh, and uh, game actors and um, and you know, I I, um, I I salute it even while I bemoan uh, the ubiquity of uh, of. Of the Marvel Universe and of these types of things, I understand
1: that there's really a hope in L. A. that Spider-Man is nominated as for a Best Movie Oscar, and that maybe the actors from Spider-Man and actresses will uh, host the Oscars. (laughs) Anything to (laughs) to breathe a little life into the Oscars.
2: I actually think it would be a cool idea to bring back, um, you know three generations of spider-man on the oscar stage that would be kind of cool you know you could get there Tom Holland, go. the newest one oh. you could then you could even dip back and get andrew garfield and dip back further and get yeah. mcguire which i will say was my my spider-man that's the one i i grew up on the sam Raimi ones but uh i think that would be a way to breathe life into a ceremony they should almost do that every year have you know some of the top grossing movie actors of the year maybe come in <laughs> and host or something but um but yeah like i um I I've enjoyed watching it climb the box office ranks. Um, it's uh, you know, and I I always like to take people on Twitter are probably tired of me beating the dead horse, uh, Godfather horse, but, um, <laughs> but I um get beating I get the dead a little,
1: cartoon.
2: Yeah, right. I get, <laughs> I get a little I get a little miffed when I see reputable. You I mean we're talking Hollywood Reporter, Associated Press, Deadline, Variety. Everyone is you know, oh it's. You know, Spider-Man is now, you know, one of only five, you know, it's, it's, it's Avatar, Endgame, The Force Awakens, Black Panther, you know, uh, it's the top grossing ever, but it's, it's, they don't adjust for inflation and money nowadays is worth way more than it used to be. So, but, so I always try to throw a little cold water and keep a historical perspective. Right. Even so, even so, Spider-Man just passed, I think, like. The Dark Knight, Thunderball, Black Panther, Jurassic World. I think it's tied around, I think it's, what's it now? Like 702 million something uh, uh, domestic. I think it's tied around Avengers for 29, the 29th spot. So it's just behind Grease at 28, Mary Poppins at 27, Forrest Gump at 26, and aha, Godfather at 25.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's in the conversation. And you can't say that about uh, too many other movies uh, that, uh that are being celebrated.
3: Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, this is a, uh, I think celebration is the key word here, right, Arch? I mean, because this movie sort of celebrates the affection that we have for this particular character uh, for many generations. I mean, this uh, this character is, uh, has been with us for a long time now and has meant different things for us. And I think that this film recognized that while also being a part of this particular set of stories in the in the MCU. Uh, and I think that was satisfying to a to a lot of people, you know, and uh and I, I think that they they deserve credit for it. You know, I, I mean uh as much as I'd like to see um you know films uh, that are less about franchises uh you know dominate the list that uh that Jason just mentioned, you know, um I I tip my, I tip my cap to this one. You know, I think it it, it pulled off something that the other films in the, fran- in the franchise, you know, and, and in all three franchises, you know, by the time they got to the third or or the second, they were just bloated and and overstuffed and they couldn't really, they couldn't. Well, and then Harry Potter
1: inside. turned it into seven for a franchise yeah. or eight or, you know, what's that uh, race movie, uh, Fast and Faster, Fast and Furious, right. yeah, I think how many are they up to, up to yeah. like, 12 or 13. Speaking of celebrating things, we need to mention the passing of several big names. And I want to start by uh, your impressions of Sidney Poitier, who died at age 94, January 6th. And uh, what a career and what a legacy of film. But especially for me, in the heat of the night from
2: 1967. In the heat of the night. That slap in the green. Well, first of all, early in the movie, when he, you know, they say Virgil. That's a funny name. What do they call you in yeah. Philadelphia? He said they call Mr. <laughs> they well, my... me Mr. Tibbs. They called me
1: Mr. Tibbs
3: call me mr tibbs
2: right i wanted to hear Art, you do that arch <laughs> but but yeah the the slap heard around the world is the thing that i think that was really the line of demarcation they say
1: in 1967 when uh in the heat of the night played in uh, urban theaters the place would go crazy the screaming and yelling and gasping and it was a phenomenon that uh, a lot of people missed out on at the time, unless you were in, a, you know, a really urban downtown theater. That to me is, uh, that's that's really the one. But guess who's coming to dinner is, you know, sort of a white liberal uh, dream from that same year, but uh, not like in say, the heat of the night.
3: I think it's safe to say that no one Carried such a heavy burden with such grace and charisma, maybe in the history of culture, right? You know, uh, and um, and he, you know, obviously we use words like like you know dignity around him and grace. You know, sometimes you wonder if he did it with too much grace and too much dignity because he made the burden seem not as heavy as it was, uh, and it was tremendous. You know, he was somewhat single-handedly. Undoing the lies of generations, the lies that the, that the history of this country was built on, that we heard every single day at the time that he, you know, uh, was a box office star. And, and he, was, he was alone in, in, in that, in, in, in carrying that in, in for, 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 for at least part of that journey.
1: Yeah, something uh, on this on on the big screen. First, uh, by the you know uh, the other night uh, PBS did a segment on the new movie museum in LA. Have you gone there yet, uh, Oliver?
3: Yes, I have the the um the Academy Museum. It's it's definitely worth checking out. I have I have mixed feelings about it. You know, I, I'm a um you know I'm a critic, Arch. I'm always going to find fault, but I uh, it's it's really exciting though uh, to see you know um. Uh, something right in the heart of Museum Row on Miracle Mile, you know, celebrating the industry and and the artistry that we love so much. It you got must- me.
1: They display Oscars from various years and various important Oscars, and of course, Sydney Poitier's uh, for *Lilies of the Field* is very important. But they have a um, an area for Hattie McDaniel. And yeah. uh, as we've discussed on this podcast before, her Oscar plaque is missing, and so it's an empty case, which they put together to make that statement of what she went through, and that maybe it was an empty gesture. I don't know, uh,
2: well, Jason. Yeah, just, we just... we need
1: to go to L.A. and and visit this place.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. And when we do, I I hope we remember. Uh, all the empty cases symbolically that are, are going to be in that museum of all the other great black actors and actresses that never even got nominated right. or won. Um, you mentioned Hattie McDaniel, you know, she was the first to, to win, a uh, first uh, black actress to win supporting mm-hmm. actors. But um, yeah, Sidney Poitier was the first lead actor to, uh, black lead actor to win for Lilies of the Field. Um, yeah. And it's really, I mean, of course, the defiant ones and Raisin in the Sun and To Serve with Love and Heath and I guess who's coming to dinner, But we've named them all. But I mean, that was that is really like the the lasting legacy and i remember when denzel washington got up and as only the right. second only can you believe it that many decades later mm-hmm. still only the second and uh sydney was in the audience because he he had just received the life achievement award that night at the oscar yeah. and there's yeah. a you guys should try to pull it up on youtube it listeners pull it up but uh and denzel says you know 40 years i've been chasing sydney and what do they do they give him on the same <laughs> night
1: <laughs> but um by the way the same day, January 6th, Peter Bogdanovich passed away at age 82. I was shocked by his death and uh and I'm very sad by it. I really loved his uh stuff. Starting well, with the last picture show, we purposely looked for people who weren't well known. We didn't want
3: a name cast. I mean, and we couldn't afford it anyway, but we didn't we we thought it should be a small town in Texas, and these are a bunch of people nobody's seen or heard of. The only person who we wanted to have some recognizable fa- recognizability factor was uh, Ben Johnson. And even Ben was mainly known to fans of westerns. I think that uh, you know, the Last Picture Show is one of the is 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 one of the great artistic achievements of of American filmmaking. You know, it's a it's a movie that you can watch again and again, and is painful and revelatory in new ways uh, every time you watch it. You know, Peter Bogdanovich himself is sort of the original, like, movie nerd made good, right? You know, he he was kind of the Quentin Tarantino of his time, the, the guy who just completely geeked out on movies and then kind of just ran rampant through them. Uh, he was a
1: writer-interviewer before he became yeah. a filmmaker. And uh, yeah, he was last a film picture show was, was writer. his... That was like Orson Welles making Citizen Kane. That was Bogdanovich's first. Well, it's, in fact, it's funny. He says funny. Wells told him to make it in black and white, that it would uh, heighten the acting.
2: Yeah, it's funny you mention that because it was it was Bogdanovich back in his early, you know, mm-hmm. museum programming, film critic days. You know, when he he wrote the Kane Mutiny, uh, <laughs> defending Wells's contributions to Citizen Kane against Pauline kales. Uh, what was it, Raising Cane, I think, who yeah. claimed it was Mankiewicz, but anyway, I mean, g- can you guys name a better out-of-the-box, uh, you know, no, Oriole as Targets, <laughs> Last Picture Show, Paper Moon, What's Up, Doc? I mean, that goes, I think he was emulating those French, you know, Godard, <laughs> Coupot, the, the critics-turned-directors there.
3: Absolutely, and and I think that, you know, it, it you can't talk about Bogdanovich without talking about, um, you know, he's the boy who flew too close to the sun, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. his his uh, whole career uh, imploded to the same degree that it that it took off. You know, although um, he
1: did make mask later on, which was a no, wonderful I mean, uh, showcase for share. Right, but he wasn't he
3: wasn't the 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 um no. the person who shaped the conversation the way he was initially.
1: But wasn't
0: of course,
3: he also pissed a lot of people off uh and um and that's part of his legacy i think billy wilder famously said that um the one thing that can uh pull this uh desperate town together is um the joy that we all feel feel when a Bogdanovich film flops
1: you know? <laughs> god wow <laughs> i uh, jason knows that uh i'm from texas and i was working in dallas When uh, the last picture show came out and it's it affected me so that I drove to Archer City just to see the place where they had shot it just so I could get out of the car and walk in front. And, you know, the the uh, the movie theater was there and the the empty stores and and I had to go there and be in it.
2: You were, you were Sam the Lion. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it didn't,
3: didn't they all, uh, everyone in that town hate that movie and, uh, and despise their association with it and, and and the way that it was, uh, shown in the movie?
1: Yes, they did. But I'm also told that the cast stayed in a, a motel and, uh, that they bonded and, uh, the people who were in the film uh, remember the bonding uh, as one of the best experiences of their life.
2: Launched a lot of I, careers. Yep. Yeah.
1: I, yeah. I, I want to mention Ronnie Spector, who died at age 78, January 12th. And she, of course, uh, is the uh, voice behind Be My Baby. Be my, be my baby. Be my baby. My How many movies can you imagine without using be my baby?
2: Oh, I, I'll <laughs> never forget watching. I was in college, I guess, watching Mean Streets the first time. And uh-huh. Scorsese, the opening credits kick off like he, like, Scorsese, like, pans yeah, like, into yeah. a film projector. And all of a yeah, sudden, you're... and I was like, what is this?
0: Any
2: Money, Any Money, quoting it later and taking tonight, Right. Just like Ronnie said, be my baby. Right well
3: it's just amazing that anyone on this earth possessed a voice that could stand up to the wall of sound right yeah. and yeah. Um, and to front uh that many instruments and you know you bring up these three uh these three incredible artists, all of which just like each one hits you in the chest every time you mention it Art. yeah you know yeah. Are, this is so much a part of our understanding of the American experience, right I was introduced to um to you know, sort of the, the the teenage heartbreak as a kind of huge thing by the music of of, of Ronnie Spector and Phil Spector. You know, it made that feeling palpable. Uh, I was introduced to the wind of um, of Texas, you know, by the by the sound in uh, in the Last Picture Show. You know, and so many of us, you know. Uh, uh, damage that had been done by centuries was undone by the single, single singular work of of Sydney Poitier. So these are just huge, huge figures, uh, and I, all of the wonderful things that we can say about them, I don't think
2: add up to the the role that they play, the outsized role that they played in our imagination. And that was, and that's beautifully put. And I would also, as a fourth person that we just lost, uh, I'd also like to mention that I was introduced, and the world was introduced to if we screwed up as a kid and you would your dad would sit you down you know maybe on the edge of the bed and the music would start swelling and you would be comforted by danny tanner bob saget passed away as well
1: oh yeah uh the dad wow. in full,
2: full house um that's what i'll remember him for i know he <laughs> it, got into really did, wrong did you throat. ever
1: see the aristocrats yeah, documentary <laughs>
2: The raunchiest joke I've ever heard. You can't help but laughing, but we could never play it on this podcast. The fact fact that the dad from Full House would do that and, you know, and dirty work with Norm MacDonald. I mean, that that was, that's a juxtaposition for the comedy age. I'm just going to
1: say, what do you call yourself?
2: Why? We're the aristocrats.
1: (laughs) Speaking of aristocrats, Lou Katz is here to tell us all about Hound Radio. Thanks, Arch. You know, around here, we love dogs. Here's proof. Hound Radio pauses the music for another wonderful look into the world of dogs with Faith Lapidus.
0: Do you look at the ingredient list on your bag or can of dog food? Most vets recommend that the first item be a named meat, like chicken or lamb, but some pet owners are looking for a different source of protein for their pet – crickets and mealworms. Most insect-based foods are perfectly safe for dogs to eat and are high in protein, fats and oils, as well as vitamins and minerals. And, compared to meat-based pet foods, farming insects creates fewer carbon emissions and requires less water and land. You're not going to find insects on the labels of the major brands of dog food, but there are options out there if you're interested in a more environmentally conscious way to feed your pet. Be aware, though, like organic food, when it was introduced, you'll have to pay more for it. Of course, as more consumers choose insect protein for their pets, prices should come down. In the meantime, pick up some cricket-based treats for your dog. See what he thinks. I'm Faith Lapidus for Hound Radio.
1: Okay, guys, we're we're wrapping up here. There's never enough time when you two are together, and I love talking to you. And, uh... Do we have any thoughts on the Golden Globes, the Screen Actors Guild, uh, the upcoming Oscars, and do we have any recommendations for the weekend?
3: I'll uh, I'll start. Um, yeah, I would love uh, for people to go see uh, the hero, which is uh, or it's playing on Amazon starting tomorrow. Uh, it's um, it's at Landmark uh, right now in DC, uh, and it's um, the uh, Iranian filmmaker Asghar um, Farhadi. Who did the separation? Uh, and it's a sort of it's a slice of life movie. It's incredibly moving, incredibly insightful, uh, and uh, and it's available to all on Amazon starting to
1: uh, Friday. And, and I think it's a contender for best documentary. Uh,
3: it's, a, uh, it's a international it's a feature
2: narrative film. Yeah, mm-hmm. I also oh. love Farhadi's The Salesman too. Those are three good movies. Yeah, I check out. I, I would recommend what I said at the top. You know, Tender Bar and Tragedy Macbeth, and I've also I'm also still plugging Coda. Uh you mentioned the Golden Globes and Sag. I mean, uh the Golden Globes, no one really, you know, uh I, I think are kind of sweeping under the rug as we should this year. But um the, the SAG awards, I was su- a lot of people surprised that um that no Kristen um, Stewart. Kristen Stewart didn't get in there. Yeah. Um but you know, we'll we'll yeah, see. Well, we'll I see. hated Spencer anyway. <laughs> yeah. Me too. Me
1: too. But who knows? I don't we'll, we'll, stand, we'll, stand for this
3: anymore. Okay. Spencer, Dad, talk.
1: Thank Thank Oliver you Oliver so Jones, guys, we, we can really follow your well. stuff uh, online at Observer.com, and Jason Fraley at WTOP, and Lou Katz at Hound Radio, I'm Arch Campbell. <laughs> this is so much fun. We'll see you next week.
0: This is the Cats Podcasting System, where it's not just a podcast, but a pod cats.